If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we are so lucky to be joined by the audiobook narrator, voice actor and actor, Annabelle Baldwin. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Um, I'm very well, thank you. I feel like we've timed this well before the day becomes an absolute roast fest. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. To be honest, I moved everything up in my day just so I can have a bit of time later to go sit outside and enjoy yeah. the sunshine. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe sit outside and fry is basically what I think <laughs> might happen to me. Personally. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sunburnt just thinking about it. So it... it's all in the head, actually, isn't it? It's all... yeah. sunburnt, just a state of mind. It's a mental game. <laughs> um, as is uh, a tradition on the show, um, I'd love to start right at the beginning. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your background and and how you came into the world of acting and then narration? Um, I guess so. Acting came from dancing. Yeah. Um, so. I used to do that the whole way through my childhood and then I I absolutely loved it but I guess I found there was um, different worlds to be discovered in acting so I sort of moved towards that but when I was 18 I was very sort of practical about things so rather you know when you go into acting it's kind of the idea of someone like really following their passion and just kind of mm-hmm. being rebellious and being like I don't want to go to uni I'm going to do drama school but I, I think for me I was like right, I'll go to drama school at 18, so then I can start working when I'm 21. And it was sort of like the most practical way I could imagine to start working as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, Whereas I've relaxed now, I think I was a little bit intense um, when I was younger. So I did, um, I went to drama school at ArtsEds on the acting course, Mm -hmm. Um, had an amazing time there. And then, yeah, I started, acting sort of straight from there and it's been like six or seven years now and it was a it was in my second year of I was in a, a show and I was in a show with lots of older actors and a couple of them did voiceovers and um I started talking to them about it and I chatted to an agent and I just loved it kind of more than anything before like the environment of voice acting just to get in a sit in a quiet room that by the law of the job has to be quiet for me was like, <laughs> oh perfect I don't have to tell anyone to be quiet that's brilliant um yeah so I started doing commercials and things like that and then it's kind of branched out a little bit into um dubbing for like Netflix series which is yeah. such a fun job and um yeah it's, yeah I've just been doing that for like four years alongside acting and stuff so it's it's a nice variety actually yeah, that sounds great. I've got lots of questions to ask you about the Netflix stuff a little bit later on. Would you um so you say you started off with dancing? Have you always had a desire for performing? Um and where do you think that comes from? <laughs> That's a good question. Um I yeah, I I think I do. I think I do. I think I maybe have fought that in the past of like I don't need to perform. It's you know, it's um because in some way I think that's like you you kind of look at that yourself and go why do I need to perform and be on stage and kind of be the center of attention there's a lot yeah, to unpack yeah. there I think but also I think some people don't enjoy it and some are like I do feel very safe and very alive performing mm. that is kind of it's a, and it's a it's a comfortable space as well I think on stage where <clears throat> you are allowed to kind of 
try on these different emotions and um, situations and characters, but in a yeah. very safe space where there's no real consequences. Um, and I think that's what I love about stage for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, when I, I just loved, I think, dancing and performing was just like the music and and like getting into the music and getting a bit carried away and losing yourself a little bit on stage I think that's what what I loved about it yeah and also getting friends to come see you in shows is obviously a real joy (laughs) yeah absolutely I've heard from quite a few people who do a lot of stage uh, stage work at that time so it's, it's really fascinating I think what that the kind of mental space that you have to be in in a show because there's sort of um, that sort of focus and that clarity beforehand, but then you kind of forget yourself and you're kind of not thinking while you're on stage, I guess. Is that is that sort of ringing any bells to be true? Yeah, it's definitely like a, a, a state of like hypervigilance, I think, mm. is what I find is that you're like, you can become so aware of everyone in the room or like everyone you can possibly feasibly see and hear in the room. And that's like, it is a real state of like Zen and mental clarity and yeah. focus that you some, like I can't necessarily bring myself to be in that state if I'm not on stage, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, which sometimes means that it's like, it's kind of a, the, it's like the highs and lows of the industry is kind of reflected in that as well. Mm-hmm. In that like, when you're working and you're performing, it's like this real buzz. And when you're not, it's quite hard to achieve that feeling or find a yeah, medium yeah. ground kind of thing. Yeah, I get that. Do you think like through through sort of drama school maybe is a sort of blend of the two, but especially in like high school or, you know, the education at the start of it, you said that you were very more focused on how do you actually begin to work? How do you actually start this career and wanting to do that, you know, quite snappy? Was the sort of school, the academic side of it, not really an interest then? Was you just more focused on the, how can I do this? I know what I want to do. How can I do this thing? Yeah, it's funny. I um, I, I went to I went to a school that that people around me were like really really intelligent, and I think mm. I found myself enjoying the arts and wanting to pursue the arts more mm. than other people. Mm. There was a few people around who were also doing that, but not many. But I I did also love the academic side. I just I didn't actually have a massive confident I didn't have a lot of confidence about my ability to do it which is why I didn't mm. kind of mm. do uni um mm. I do have a it was yeah it was a meeting of kind of the academic side and the dancing where I think somewhere in there was acting yeah I get that a lot I think it's because you do have to you know there is a lot of there is sort of like a I guess like a research side of 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 like developing characters and things like that which kind of could blend it to the you know the academic set side of your your brain I guess um so I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's possible for me to not start off by asking you about your time performing in um Harry Potter and the Cursed Child um would you be able to tell us a little bit about how that opportunity came about and and just your experience of of being involved in that show yeah sure um yeah so I I went into that a few months after leaving drum school so I didn't mm-hmm. go straight into it those few months and um I got asked, no, I auditioned in a big movement call, which is how they do kind of their audition process. Is, uh, uh, at the very beginning, they also are bringing people in for movement sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of cruel because you do like a few scenes and then they're like, now go dance for an hour. And it's it's quite a lot for an actor because there's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, all, it's basically a choreography. Um, but I did that 
which is kind of where I felt more comfortable at the time anyway. I did yeah. that audition and it made, uh, it allowed me to do the workshop. So we started making the show with a group of people. I think there'd been one workshop before actually, but that in that workshop that I did, which was in, um, it was like above a primary school in Canary Wharf. Uh, that was with a lot of people who ended up in the original company. Mm -hmm. So uh, we kind of went on this really nice journey because it was about three months after that, that we started rehearsals. But I got offered the job when I was um, in Aldi, getting milk for a cafe that I was working in. So I had like maybe like 30 pints of milk in a trolley and like heading for checkout. And then my agent called me and was like, oh, they'd like you to play Myrtle. And I was like, okay, should I buy this milk? Um, and that was obviously like very memorable and mm. bizarre and I didn't know how that had happened but it was it was a really amazing experience not mainly it's funny because I, I went to see Noma who I did the original company with um mm. last night so it's it's funny how it's like come back around to talking about it today yeah. uh, but it was just working with these actors who'd been in the industry for years who very much kept us grounded and were like don't expect this ever again yeah <laughs> this is the peak of your life we're like that okay um and yeah so it was just learning off of them I remember kind of doing the first time I ever did the myrtle scene which was on a spinning sink that had kind mm. of just been made for rehearsals and it just like spanned very fast and and I'm a bit I'm I can move but I'm also clumsy at the same time so there's <laughs> fear of falling um, and the first time I ever read the scene was like in front of everyone. It was in front of like the producers, the writers, mm. and it just it came out of the blue the way that rehearsals worked. And I will never be more nervous than I was right then. Like literally opening night was a breeze in comparison to that moment. Really? So, yeah, it was it was um, intense and memorable and amazing. And I feel very lucky to have done it. Um, yeah, I did actually fall off on the opening night, I think. Oh my God. Yeah, I fell off and I was meant to be a ghost. And I, in my head, I was like, everyone knows I'm not a ghost. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm hit around. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I think, yeah, people often say about the first night, it was like a, like a rock concert. Like everyone mm. was cheering every character that came on stage, which was just mental, mental. But it was amazing. Yeah. I did it for two years. I had a great time. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, did you, um, were you able to kind of take it in your stride, like landing that job and then suddenly be like thrown into this, this, you know, huge production? Um, or would, you know, was there like times where you had to sort of pinch yourself and go, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm doing this now. I'm really, you know, there's sort of nothing bigger, is there? Yeah, I think exactly. I think, um, I think I did take it in my stride almost like too much. Like, I, I think I was just, yeah, you kind of, I don't know, you you like adjust your like mindset to what is happening. And I think if I'd the whole time been like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> I, I maybe wouldn't have been able to do the job. I, yeah, I think I was just course. like, I'm a professional actor now. Yeah. I'm gonna act like one, I think. And I, and I just sort of like, found myself mirroring everyone else around me and their kind of approach to it yeah. but there was quite a few moments where everyone we were just like what this is mad and yeah, yeah. but they were my group moments I think 
Yeah, I get that. I get that. you do have, as you say, you do have to sort of at some point switch on that brain and go, hang on a minute, I'm I'm here to do a job and I have to do it. <laughs> I have to do it well. <laughs> yeah, you can get excited, but then you're just like, come on, keep it together. Yeah, absolutely. So you've, um, as we've already mentioned, you've also uh, been involved with a number of uh, projects for Netflix, um, such as uh, Thieves of the Wood, is that right? And, and Backspace, to, to, to name a few. Um, could you be able to, um, could you expand on a little on these projects and, and your experience, you know, what's sort of involved in doing them uh, and things like that? Yeah, so it's um, not like, it's not really glamorous at all. It's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not in it. You can't, you don't see me. But uh I love it as a job so it's it's dubbing and it's kind of the option that people don't go for often sometimes on Netflix where they'd rather watch the subtitles and hear it in the original language yeah. so in a way you're off the hook because no one listens to it <laughs> anyway no offense to I mean I love doing it and I love making it I think often it sounds amazing and they are we are getting better at doing it so yeah. it would be more possible for people to use it but it's really cool because you have to kind of be really precise with your delivery of lines mm-hmm. in a way that is like it it it's like a skill it becomes a skill set because you have to match up to what they're saying intonation tone pick up on what they're doing and then time it in and and say phrases in ways that you would never have said them in your whole life so like you would you just break all your normal speaking patterns in order to sort of match someone else's and it's yeah. kind of like the best acting lesson you can do yeah um, yeah because you have to break your normal habits I think and kind of yeah pick up someone else's tone and speed it's really yeah. fun I was gonna say so like the, that that challenging aspect of it then does that draw you in more because it's like a bit of a you know like a, something you know as you say like a speech pattern or like a way of speaking that you wouldn't normally do is that is that challenging that challengingness of it draw you in further yeah I think so in a way yeah. yeah it's like um it's kind of the maths version of acting it's like um it's like karaoke basically it's acting karaoke yeah because uh, it comes up on the screen and yeah uh, sometimes people speak so fast and you're like I can't do it I can't speak that fast um yeah the challenge is really nice and you just feel very satisfied I think yeah. at, at the end of it yeah, and it's just I, it's just a bizarre job as well that you think you like go home and you're like that's my job. That's so weird. <laughs> I think that's such a great comparison to being like karaoke, voice acting karaoke. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. Um, the, most of um, the audience of this podcast um, are up and coming voice actors and audio bit narrators and, and actors and such. Um, do you have any advice for those voice actors who are up and coming? Um, like if they get into this position, a lot of them want to do uh, work such as dubbing and voice acting and things like that. Have you got any advice to help them leave the best impression possible when working with these studios and production companies and the crew and, you know, anything like that? Um, I think in terms of making it enjoyable for yourself I think finding the version or like it sounds really pretentious but the authentic version of your voice and you and Mm. your voice is so connected to you that finding that version of you will definitely lead to finding your better voice yeah um like my voice has changed a lot over five years Mm -hmm. um so I think yeah finding a version of yourself that is very very comfortable that you can take into every room that you want to go in rather than Mm. like feeling like you're pretending in any way because it's that thing 
which I love about radio is that you can't your voice doesn't really lie you can tell from someone's voice if they're lying um which is why it's so magical like why voice work is so magical yeah um people can hear you straining if you're if you're like holding something back or you're pushing something forward people can hear it immediately yeah just like relax and find that like version of your voice that you can take with you everywhere um and then in terms of like being on the job I think just enjoying enjoying it and because if you're having a nice time then everyone else is also having a nice time I think this is for the dubbing and stuff like that where it's a bit more relaxed like for commercials you have to be a bit thick-skinned I think actually um oh, really yeah I think because the people you're working with are producers and people who work in advertising and they're potentially the kind of people that you don't like see socialized with it's like maybe a different yeah. world of people they have yeah. a different language and some of that language is really like harsh and sees as, and the voice is just part of the product that you're selling and sometimes it's not the right voice um and they will they will kind of sometimes share that as you're like as you're working and you kind of just really have to not take it personally yeah I remember um ringing my mum like after my third voiceover or something and being like if I don't enjoy this one then I'm I'm not going to do it anymore mm. because I I think I'd done a voiceover and someone had um <laughs> someone like as I was just after I'd recorded one of the producers like mm, her voice is um a bit vanilla it's just a bit vanilla and I was like oh okay yeah. and at the time I like, didn't know how to and they were talking about me not to me as well so I was like yeah ah. and didn't know how to deal with that at the time so I was like okay if I don't enjoy this one then I won't do them I did enjoy it I carried on and realized if someone says a voice is a bit vanilla then I can be like is there anything I can do to change that or is it out of my control? And just being really direct and thick-skinned and not taking things personally, I'd say. Yeah, of course. I mean, that could be very hard, I imagine, as well, especially if people have been... I mean, that sounds like someone was being blatantly rude, um, which, you know, rather than being constructive and such. Um, it sort of leads me on to um, a question. So being based in London, um, very similar to LA, I guess, there's this reputation for actors that the environment is very cutthroat and intense, almost relentless with competition for acting jobs and things like that. Over the years, have you found any truth in that? Is is London the, you know, the best place to be? Is it the place to be in the UK for people to pursue their acting careers and, and things like that? How, how sort of is it? Interesting. I've always been based in London, so... I feel a real, I, I grew up here, I feel really, I, I feel an affinity with London, but I have mm. just worked with a lot of Scottish actors mm. who um, are doing amazing work in Scotland and also um, they, and they talk about encouraging people to like go to the regions and working in those theatres yeah. because there is really brilliant work happening there. Yeah. Um, so I don't think London is the place to be. I think you can make connections with theatres that are more local to you and it's of equal value. Mm. Um, there's just more here, I guess. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's definitely, definitely in Scotland and uh, there's like the exchange, like all those theatres in the regions, like they're doing, a lot of them are doing the same plays that we're doing here and mm. 
you don't have to come to London and like bankrupt yourself yeah <laughs> like I do know a lot of people I think who who are like it's so expensive now yeah. and it's just like and uh, and everywhere but London is just like rent prices are insane and yeah. you don't you don't have to bankrupt yourself to do it especially now that there's tapes and like most voiceovers can be done from home like if yeah. you have a good home setup then you'll do most of your work from there anyway yeah absolutely i think that's the kind of nice thing about voice i mean some of my um actor friends who want to do you know do more uh, stage and screen based work um i'm based just outside of leeds um so in our little hub london is the you know they all want to want to go down there and things it's just it's just so it seems at this point in time quite inaccessible um with rent and things like that and you kind of need to already have context down there um prior to kind of going yeah and and it's not like if you come from somewhere this is my understanding of it, if you come from somewhere smaller then there's potentially connections that you can make because of the distance between you and that person that you're making is smaller whereas in yeah. London it's not like here's an opportunity for everyone in London yeah that doesn't happen um but the, the opportunities are there like you can go and join I think like NYT or rep or something like something that's based in London yeah join when you're a bit younger do you, do you know what I mean yeah like, there's not like a, a London youth company <laughs> but you could, no. oh, that was a confusing answer I'm sorry <laughs> no I get you completely um moving on to back to uh, more acting based questions um how does your approach to characterization change um when you know voice acting when dubbing uh, as opposed to being a character on stage is the process similar do you sort of start because it's that whole thing of like start at the feet or whatever it is um that it, does it change do you find yourself running through the motions um similar when building up a character um I think it's quite similar uh obviously with the dubbing you don't you don't tend to get the script beforehand you'll just be reading mm -hmm. it off the cuff mm -hmm. um so that's maybe a bit different if I was doing radio or yeah building a character for audio it would be similar to stage or screen which is always just um what's going on in the scene and uh what are they yeah who is this character and working that out from their behavior in the scenes yeah um which is why sometimes i find it quite hard to do it if it's like a smaller part where you have like little to no information yeah i'm t i like really struggle with those i'm like but who are they um yeah so it's just like breaking down the scene going from the text and everything is in the text and if it's not then just make a choice was it similar like when you did um moaning myrtle in harry potter was it that kind of because I, I mean how did you approach that character was it, was it like kind of like a because obviously you have to bring to it your own style and your own personality through it um was it like a did you have to like imitate in certain ways or borrow traits from um the adaptations prior so I, I definitely, like, I hold my hands up to it, definitely took on, a, like, a lot of Shirley Henderson's mannerisms for that character. Yeah. And I think all the actors who've played it since have done a, a bit of that and then have bought a bit of themselves as well. Yeah. Um, I literally don't know if I can still do the voice. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to try. <laughs> much, high, much higher than where my voice is now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, Greenlee, as like a 21-year-old, was like, ah, just do that, I think, do that. And then because I was spinning around a sink and it was on stage and there was like movement to it, there was kind of enough yeah. different that it 
worked I think yeah um yeah but that was like that's the I think the age-old question with that show and it is age-old now because it's like six years old um <laughs> like how um how much do I imitate the people in the films and how much do I like bring my own thing to it yeah. and it's, it's a hard line to balance and I think uh yeah it is hard did you and and do you sort of get asked to do that voice quite a lot from people? Uh, no, it just happened once with a cab driver, yeah. and I was uh, on my way home from like the Sunday night. So it was like our last show of the week. And he's like, "What have you been doing?" And I was like, "I never answered this question again." I was like, "Oh, we've just been out for drinks. We just finished the show." And he's like, "What shows? Harry Potter. Who do you play? Myrtle. Do the voice." And I and I couldn't. <laughs> I had I'd had a couple of wines. And yeah. just couldn't do the voice, and he just thought I was completely lying, um, yeah. and I just had to sort of sit quietly in the back of the cab for the rest of the journey. Like he thinks I just lied about being in that show, <laughs> um, but I, I think it, no, yeah, people have asked me since, but not recently, not recently. Yeah, I think like this, um, this is the rule that I sort of set for this show because we have a lot of voice actors on who've done characters um, that are quite. Um, you know recognizable and is a rule that I have never to ask them to do it um, because it's one of my pet peeves as an audiobook narrator is I do I work um, mainly in different US based accents um, I do a lot of accent work um, and then when and when I first started out I wanted to tell people or they'd ask more about the job and stuff I'd tell them and it was like my fear of oh they say oh go on then do you know do this accent do a New York accent or something and I, I just have this fear of then trying to do it, it not being very good, and then they go off thinking that I'm just crap at the job. <laughs> like, so it was like, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not. Always got to say no. You got to say no. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's too. It's you got to be in the right mindset, and if you're not, yeah. it's not the same anyway. So yeah, there was like, I went on a holiday, and I was talking. We met this couple, and I was talking to the guy and he was he was as you know talking about it and stuff and he was he was quite good at impersonations just off the cuff he was I think he worked I think he worked in marketing actually and or sales or something but he just so happened to be on it and he kept trying to goad me into to doing like a sort of similar thing and um I'd had a few drinks and I sort of like tried it and it just wasn't going right and it was the most embarrassing thing it's worse then when you go back to you're like what have I done yeah, my partner was like, "Oh, usually he's all right. I don't know what's going on today. <laughs> like, he's broken. I don't know what's happened to him." <laughs> um, you've also you've um also have a great interest uh, in sports uh, and mention uh, playing in the space where sport meets uh, theatre. If um, I got that quite right, could you um could you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, I think this has come out of um jobs that I've done actually, rather than mm. like me going into the world with this idea of this is what I like. But I've just ended up, um, well, it's the thing of in sport, you don't know how it's going to end up, but you have the rules of the game and mm. there's going to be a score at the end and things are going to happen between the beginning and the end. Yeah. And I guess it's looking at theatre in the same way where we have the rules, we have the lines, we have the staging, but then anything, this is not how much, a lot of directors would direct their work, but sometimes it will be in that like kind of anything is there within the world up for grabs and that yeah. means it kind of stays alive um and i i think actors have different and directors have different ways of working but yeah putting a, like a game and something to win in there for your character or you as an actor is a really nice way of keeping it alive yeah um, for me anyway and i often like this is so dark but like i'll be playing sports sometimes 
or I'll be like working sometimes. And I'm like, this is like, this is like in football when this happens. And, <laughs> and I just like, just how my brain, I think always compares, compares the two, like yeah. um, likes to try and make analogies, whether they're like any good or not. Um, but yeah, there's a director called Ned Bennett, and I, he hasn't said this to me, but he said it via a friend. He uses the term um, scrimmage, and it's just like they're like this being this like kind of fight in the middle of something um, that makes like theatre dynamic and interesting. Yeah. And um, I, I really like watching kind of like athletic actors as well who kind of mm. approach acting in this like athletic way. And you're like, they're amazing, you know, but that, that's not it's not suitable for all plays. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting take on it, really. I think that whole I'm fascinated by um, whenever we have directors on the show um, or, you know, we're talking about audiobooks, uh, director producers usually sort of merge into the same sort of role. Um, I'm always really interested in their sort of techniques to get the best out of the performer. Um, and you don't half hear some bizarre, <laughs> bizarre techniques. Um, I've also I've also seen some writing and, and poetry, I believe, uh, listed uh, on your site. Would you would you say that working in the business of stories essentially kind of prompted you to begin writing, or has it always been of an interest to you? Um, yeah, I've always been interested in it. When I was younger, I used to write stories all the time, mm. um, and I stopped doing it when I was a teenager uh and i i think i only started writing again during the pandemic all oh, right and and i've sort of stopped again to be honest as soon yeah. as there's like things going on I'm, i haven't done it since but it was like maybe four or five months where i just all i did every day was write yeah. i don't know what happened to, to allow that to happen but <laughs> i would love it to happen again if the universe would be so kind um yeah. but yeah i yeah i definitely kind of started from writing that's what I loved when I was younger and writing poems I used to make loads of like poem books sometimes yeah. not my own poems I just copy out other people's poems put them in a new book <laughs> <laughs> nice do you think do you think it was like maybe that sort of creative side with lockdown obviously that you know we all sort of found ourselves with sort of empty schedules and things on most on most part do you think it was that idea of I need to be creative I need to create something do something and be active mentally yes yeah I um I think so also I, I started a master's in the pandemic I did a master's in radio production oh nice um and it was not that it was massively academic but it was the first time that I was kind of working in an academic sort of way yeah and I think it was and, and actually a lot of the journalism stuff was the thing that actually made me focus and work and yeah. as a byproduct of that, my brain was sort of kind of going. Um, yeah, and then without the stress of, I need to be here, I need to be there. Yeah. I know what, I know at least what the next week looks like. It, I think it just allowed me to be calm and, and write what was in my head. Whereas now like with, in this job, like you don't know what the next two days look like, the next week mm. looks like, like hopefully I'm going to a wedding next week, hopefully unless something yeah. comes in um yeah. and I think that place of uncertainty is quite hard to be focused from and it's, yeah absolutely yeah congrats to anyone who manages it really <laughs> yeah 
how do you find yourself sort of dealing with that uncertainty? Is it something that you've kind of gotten better with over time? Because I think personally, because I'm in the sort of same boat with you, I, you know, narrate audiobooks and stuff. And uh, yeah, projects will last a week or, you know, two weeks if you're lucky, if they're huge. And that's just because of how I set out my recording schedule. Um, but apart from that, you know, I can sort of say in the next sort of, you know, three weeks time, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. And I think that I've gotten worse over time dealing with it. When I was younger and started out, I didn't quite mind it. I thought, oh, that's exciting. And now now there's bills to have to pay. It sort of gets, I find myself waking up and screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waking up and <laughs> screaming for my life. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah totally. I, I still find it as hard, so I think, as I ever have. Um, yeah. And, and uh, voiceovers are amazing because when they come in, they they pay you. Yeah. But it also means that you do have to leave most of your time completely free. Yeah. So even if you try and get, I try and get part-time jobs and I end up just pissing them off because I'm like, yeah. sorry, I've actually just got a job in for tomorrow. And you've got like five people running around trying to get cover. So mm. you, you kind of just have to hold on. Like I'm, I'm, I feel very grateful that I can just be like, okay, I just have to leave my time free in case voiceovers come in and then hope mm. that they do. Um, but it's no it's really hard it's really hard and you have to say yes to people's birthdays weddings all of those things in the yeah. hope you go but there's a, every chance that you're going to let them down last minute yeah um, I always think it's like being self-employed is just this like thing of like just balancing who you let down the most <laughs> yeah 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 100 percent. and just kind of not pushing people too far <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> Occasionally, there'll be something that I really don't want to go to socially, and something will come on. I think, oh, thank Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, can't make that one. Um, yeah, but also, I think another thing is it what different in terms of uncertainty. I found like I can have a structure and that works, but I have to not be annoyed at myself if that structure goes out the window and I find a new structure. Like, yeah. it will be like maybe I'm obsessed with swimming for three weeks, or maybe like I'll find something different, but it moves but I have to be like, that's okay. You're not gonna, you're not yeah. that person who sticks to one thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Do you find yourself having to set very sort of dead routines in your days to sort of manage that kind of uncertainty? I have, I no, I don't, I, I won't stick to a routine. I'll just make sure that I see friends and I exercise. Yeah. And if I do those two things, then usually I'm fine. Yeah. Not every day, but like, yeah. And I've got better at planning weekends and stuff because that's really important as well. Because we feel like we can't plan, but actually, you got to yeah. plan because otherwise, you're going to do nothing. Yeah, I've I've fallen down that trap a fair few times. Um, I think I think it's really interesting. I think it's so important as well, especially because there's so many. And as I say, the uh, majority of the listeners to this podcast are, are coming into this. You know, going to be coming into this sort of style of life and um i think it's really you know because we can talk all day about how great you know the work is and how fulfilling it can be but there's also this side of this side that can often be quite um scary um and just sort of sharing the the stories and the mechanisms to cope with it i can think be, can be quite useful um yeah so we just have time for one more question if that's okay um it's been such a pleasure to talk to you um to uh, to finish us off is there is there anything upcoming any projects anything at all in the future you mentioned a, a possible wedding is there anything approaching the diary that you're that you're excited about that you could perhaps tell us about mainly the wedding um 
I know. I so I I'm, I went through a phase. I got offered a, a, a couple of jobs and I um, had a real thing about them and it was quite hard. And I've been like, no. And I actually am more excited to be at a point where uh, I'm auditioning, but the diary is empty. Mm -hmm. That kind of feels more exciting right now. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I think I feel ready for new things. And I, yeah, I didn't want to go back on old soil. And I feel like we're coming out of this pandemic that's been like horrendous. And I'm kind of more excited about the unknown than I am about what I do know, actually. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, I get that. So basically, the answer is no, but I made it sound <laughs> like a bit glowy. <laughs> no, I get it completely. I think that's a, it's, it's a really nice way to be, especially in that kind of op open for opportunities and stuff is such a great um, a great place and exciting. It's worth it's what's, uh, what life's all about, I think, personally. Yeah, um, I'm still excited. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I hope everything, I hope you do make it to the wedding. I hope <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> Um, that just about does it for this episode, I think, of uh, the Audiobook Club. Uh, all of the relevant links to social media accounts and websites and everything will be linked uh, in the description below. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed it. Um, and, yeah, wishing you, uh, wishing you all the best. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening.